0: Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Welcome to the podcast, Father Michael O'Lachlan, along with my buddy,
1: Father Nathan Goble. Hey, yo. You just sat down. Greetings. Greetings. All right. Hope this sounds better. We turned down the yeah. volumes a little bit.
0: Oh, it does. Look, and we, we, we turned it down from the very beginning. You're right. So if the uh, if we're, you're not like two weeks from it, so you, but we record two in a row, as you know. So two weeks from it, but we think that the what do we call it? Intractability of a sin podcast yep. might have been really loud in the beginning. So anyway, we apologize if that's the case, and we deal think, with it. We think we fixed the problem. Yeah, suck it up. Come on, come on. All right.
1: Did I tell you the story about Oreo? though no. so like oreos oreo um, our cat oh no so i was on the phone with my mom for mother's day okay uh, it was the day after because uh she took a power nap for like three and a half hours nice. for her mother's day gift to yeah. herself which is oh awesome yeah. um and uh so i was on the phone with her on monday and you know calling mom whatever and uh i said uh monday you know, did you call her on sunday i tried she was oh. asleep oh okay. power oh, nap. i see okay. anyways the uh so then we're on the phone and she's like, she's like, oh, I'm so grateful that you called. I'm I'm just so happy. That's a, what? Oh, oh no. Oh, that's horrible. I'm like, mom, is everything all right? She's like, Oreo just got ran over. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, really? And she's on the phone. She's like, yeah, your dad found him. Oh. They're burying him in the backyard. Oh. Dalton and Tori are crying. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like trying to stifle my laughter. A and play by she, play of horrible like, instance She's like, I was like, I was like, well, mom, because Oreo was the cat that you'd let in to feed and sleep and then he'd go out prowling again. Um, I said, at least he died doing what he loved. Yeah. He died with his boots on. She goes, you're right. He died doing what he loved. She's like, I got to go. Thanks for calling. And I'm like, <laughs> Have a nice day.
0: Happy Mother's Day,
1: Mom. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. So, Oreo. So, Oreo. So,
0: that's... Like, we had a, a cat named Pepper when we were a kid because it's black, yeah. black, yeah. black and white. Yeah. Ours was black and white. Yeah. Is he black on the outside, white on the inside? <laughs> <laughs> no, he was He was pink on the outside and the inside. Sorry.
1: I, Oreo was a very good cat and I
0: feel bad. But. I wasn't going there. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. If you're a cat lover, so are we.
1: I love cats. Yeah, me too. I just it, great Broadway show. <laughs> yeah, right. No, Oreo died doing exactly what <laughs> he wanted true. to do, which is being that's outside, true. running across the street whenever he yeah. wanted to. Actually, you know what, that's true because we—I was ch-
0: joking the other day. We priests, do you guys retire at 75 in the archdiocese? Yeah. And you, you do? So
1: 75.
0: Yeah. So you you retire at 75, which rarely happens. Most priests just die at the altar. Ugh. But. I guess I want to die. At the, I either want to die at the altar or die in a monastery where I'm just like involved in prayer. The last thing I want to do is die sitting in front of a TV. That's true. After having watched reruns of friends for. Yeah. Hours. I don't
1: want that. Yeah. Blah. What about 75? You guys retire at 75. You're, you can retire. Why are you asking right? about that? Because I was just thinking about where we're going to uh, die when our I boots don't don't on. Are oh, yeah, exactly. Die oh. with our boots on. Yep. Forgot actually. I thought you were gonna say like how we're cat lovers, so. Right.
0: You, <laughs> you said the cat died with his boots on. That's right. I was that's going right. With that. Okay. All right. Actually, that's that is a great lead in though to the topic. Um, oh, why? Well, which is martyrdom.
1: At sea? Which is
0: about dying with your boots on. <laughs> that's right.
1: Perfect Oreo. <laughs> we God didn't even you. try. <laughs> I just job, thought Oreo. I should tell that story because yeah. there was a little lull.
0: See, I'm glad because I was gonna the banter I was gonna start was gonna be about the Sandlot because. Oh yeah! I never saw the Sandlot, so we spent our our little podcast break watching videos, clips from the Sandlot,
1: killing me small, Killing
0: me smalls, and watching kids puke on the uh, Tilt-A-World. <laughs> <laughs> Father That's Brady a, Wagner really loves me. that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, um, so. Uh, we celebrated Pentecost together. It's one of the feasts we Romans and Byzantines celebrate together. Well, How? at least on on the new calendar we do. Really? If you're on the Julian calendar. But yeah, I mean, if, it, if we celebrate Pascha together, we're going to celebrate 50 days later together. Good point, yeah. So yeah. So we sell even though we don't celebrate Ascension together in all dioceses, because it gets moved um, in Ro- most
1: Roman dioceses. It's actually dioceses. <laughs> like feces. <laughs> I think it is. What? I, that's what I think. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's not dioceses? Di- like, dioceses? Like, feces, dioceses. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs>
0: Okay. in most eparchies, I'll just go, go with, with our Byzantine term. Eparchieses. And, and well, and on all eparchies, we keep Holy Thursday, I uh, keep Ascension Thursday and Ascension Thursday. <laughs> all right. um, All right. So we celebrated Pentecost together. <laughs> Are
1: you sure you want to make this one of our first Pentecost. podcasts under your new bishop? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, he
0: you won't be new, a new bishop. Your yet. new eparch? He won't be a new bishop yet until the end of July. So okay, this is coming up before then. Yeah, I, I got a new bishop. I my old bishop retired, which I don't like at all. He's seventy six, so he had to do it. He likes his bishop. I do. I <laughs> love just, my bishop. He
1: just said I don't like it at all.
0: I don't like that he retired. Yes, yes. But I I, I love my bishop. He's my hero. But. Um, and he refuses to retire to Denver. He's retiring to Phoenix, where he lives and where it's nice and warm all the time. Um, but anyway, he was a great bishop, and we get a new bishop, Bishop John Pazak, formerly Bishop of Slovak Toronto, awesome, is coming in to lead to shepherd the priests and people of the Eparchy of Phoenix. <sighs> Um, I've met him five or six times, seems like a great guy, laid back, happy, joyful, holy, and Bishop Gerald likes him, my former bishop, so good. I will listen to that, absolutely. So. We hope that
1: we're, we hope that you're still on the air. I'll be on the oh, air. Oh, I know.
0: Well, I'll be on the other first day he's there. He might He might move me day one, and then I'll... Yep. Then we'll been re- a good run. Yeah, it was been a good run. Oh, that would be horrible. I don't even say that. Okay. Um, I like Denver. I want to stay here. But uh, if Bishop moves me, obedience is obedience. You go where you're sent. All right, uh, Pentecost. So, on Pentecost, of course, we, tongues as a fire, descend upon the apostles and the Theotokos and all those rest gathered there, and they receive the the ability and the reality of becoming the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. This is the birthday of the church, Pentecost, and they re- they become the body of Christ themselves. Christ leaves. He says, I'll remain with you forever till the end of the world, and he does that through the church, which is the body of Christ. St. Paul is very eloquent about that. So... Um, not only do we become the body of Christ at Pentecost, but we receive the strength to do what Christ does. So, it's not like all of a sudden Christ ascends into heaven, the church becomes the body of Christ, and all of a sudden the body of Christ becomes this sinful, lazy, you know, stick in the mud. No. Christ empowers the church, which is his body, to do what he did to do what he does to continue to be him in the world hmm. um, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit which is of course what the tongues as a fire are that is why chrism if you smell a newly chrismated baby at baptism because you guys also use chrism yeah. in your baptism even though it's not the sacrament of chrismation but we, we confirm infants at their baptism we also give them the first eucharist in the Byzantine church and so we use chrism as well so both churches use chrism if you smell a newly chrismated person you're gonna smell perfumes and spices, because each one of those symbolizes a different gift of the Holy Spirit Mm. that when the bishop uh, consecrates chrism, he puts in various spices. I forget how many there are. They've counted from St. Paul's writings how how many gifts of the Holy Spirit there are, and they put that many perfumes or spices in it. So there's lots and lots of them, in other words. Um, So we receive these gifts of the Holy Spirit at our chrismation or our confirmation, which is, by the way, confirmation is the Roman term, chrismation is the Byzantine word, Byzantine term. So we receive those gifts at our confirmation or chrismation, and we see that in the Acts of the Apostles when Peter and the other apostles, after Pentecost, they go out and they become courageous They start using the gifts for the upbuilding of the church when they become the body of Christ, which is the church. And then what that leads to for every single one of them except John is martyrdom. Martyrdom. So they literally become... The body of Christ and of course Christ himself was martyred and so they become in other words killed for your faith killed for you, you we surrender our lives in martyrdom we give ourselves in the gift of ourselves in martyrdom so Christ was a martyr in a sense um, we call Saint Stephen of course the first martyr because he's the one that in a Christ-like way um, not only surrendered, to martyrdom, but also was Christ-like. He asked God to forgive those who killed him, etc. Very Christ-like. Um, so we have in Pentecost this ability to become martyrs. So as you probably know, martyr, martyrion, the the Greek word is translated in English as witness. So it does mean witness. When a martyr is someone who witnesses to the reality of who Christ was, Christ himself lived a life and and died as an innocent victim. He did not deserve to die And when somebody sacrifices themselves, suffers in ways that they do not deserve, even though we deserve it since we're sinful, but if we ever are given the gift, the ability, the blessing of being able to to suffer for something we did not do, we do not deserve it yet we suffer anyway, it's hard to see that as a benefit, but it is. Mm -hmm. If we can do that well then we become a witness, a martyr, a someone who witnesses to Christ, who 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 is a proof in the world in this day and age to what Christ did. So that's what a martyr is. A martyr is someone who is a witness to Christ's actions by par- not, not imitating him as much as participating in him. A martyr participates in the life, death, and God willing, eventual resurrection of Christ himself. They participate in that. So the participation is very important here. So in the first... Years of the church, the first of nearly 300 years of the church. And by the way, Tertullian also calls the blood of the martyrs the seed of the church. So I think that's just a beautiful line. When the when the martyrs were killed, their blood that, you know, stepped into the ground, whether they were crucified or beheaded, et cetera, their blood in the ground became the seed through which the church, the body of Christ, and now 2,000 years later, more than 1 billion Catholics alone, you know, became the seabed of what the church is, the ongoing work of Christ in the world. So... um in the first 300 years of the church, of course, Christianity was illegal, and Christianity meant martyrdom. If you were found out to be a Christian, you were killed for it. So it was very—being a Christian was very black and white. You didn't need the whole catechism of the Catholic Church, right? If you were a Christian, you proclaimed Christ is my Lord and my Savior. You worshiped together. You received the Eucharist together. You lived the life of the sacraments. And when someone found out that that's what you were doing, you were killed. So Christianity meant bloody martyrdom. and meant imitating Christ and participating in Christ in such a way that you died like him, died with him, died for him, etc. But death was an essential part of Christianity, the, the, the surrender of life itself. The gift of life was surrendered for the sake of the greater good of Christ and the church, and this became the blessing that was passed on from generation to generation in the church. Now, it's important, though, at the definition of martyrdom because this word is mangled and abused and used by people like ISIS, Boko Haram, you know, the Taliban, et cetera. Good. They call those who kill themselves kamikazes in World War II, Though those who kill themselves, they, they would use that, at least the radical Muslims would use that word martyrdom for what they're doing. Right. That is not, the, of course, the Christian concept of martyrdom. Martyrdom means that, that you want to live. You see life as a gift. You would never take another life, or you would never take your own life. Those lives are sacred. You would never do that. But if your life is taken from you for the sake of Christ, then you've died a martyr. You've surrendered but you're still in a sense a victim, but you're not a victim in the way that you did surrender your life. Um, but but you would never take a life or take your own life and then be called a martyr. That That's not Christianity. Um, so that's a different way of understanding it.
1: Would you say that that <clears throat> it meant that you were going to be a martyr or that there was a great possibility or even probability of, like, a bloody martyrdom? Right. That, like— you know, because like even Athanasius and everything, I mean, mm-hmm. he, he was persecuted and, you know, like he had to flee from his enemies and yeah. hide and whatever else. Yeah. He didn't eventually suffer like a, a bloody martyrdom, right. even before the time of, of uh, Constantine. Right. But he knew that this is part of being a faithful Christian. Yeah. That at any point, and you're called upon to give testimony, to yeah. be a witness... Like you would call a witness to the stand for right. a prosecution, if you are called upon to give testimony, that you would do it.
0: I think this is the key: is that they don't. A true martyr, someone who has a martyr's mindset, doesn't really care if they die or not. Mm. That's not the point. I mean, the, the point is is you are you're a witness to what Christ did. Which in certain circumstances, because it means someone's going to take your life for it. In other circumstances, it means they're not. For instance. Blessed Theodor Romsha. Look him up. Great Byzantine blessed now in Ukraine. He, when, when, when uh, Soviet communism first took over the part of Ukraine that he lived in, Transcarpathia, he, as a bishop, he continued ministering to his people. So the Soviets thought that if we take his vehicle, then he can no longer minister. So they took away his vehicle. So he just hooked up a horse, a horse and carriage. And, and he, other priests, seminarians would go from parish to parish to parish. He was a good bishop. Now, did he know? Did, did, did he think that he was probably going to get killed? Sure, of course he did. I mean, he, he understood the reality, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit and brave enough to say, even though if I just stayed home and did what the Soviets told me to do and sat in my house and wrote letters to the different churches, I probably won't be killed, or at least nearly as quickly. But he refused to be to obey the, the, the civil authorities, and so he went out, and his his horse and carriage was rammed, They were all wearing clerical garb, so they didn't know the, 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 you know, guys who were sent out to to kill him didn't know who was who, so they, they actually killed... Almost everybody else that was in the cart, but thought they killed him, but he wasn't dead. He just laid in the road. I've been to the spot. They built. A, they're building a church on the spot where they did this. And so then the townspeople, when the the you know goons ran off, the townspeople came, grabbed him, brought him to a hospital, and he was alive. And then uh, the authorities, and the Soviets found out he was alive. They sent in a, a nurse who was not a true nurse, and she had injected him and killed him, like oh, wow. in the hospital. Um, so it's like, did he? In other words, anybody, a friend could have said, look, dude, just write, Bishop, dude, you know, write letters to your parishes. You don't need to go to them. If you're just writing letters, you know, the, right. the, they'll, they'll leave you alone. You can live longer. You can serve them better. You know, all these excuses. He said, no, I'm going to be a shepherd to my people. I'm going to go to them. And he, he knew that death was an option. Or take Maximilian Colby right Maximilian Kolbe he he gave his life for another man in Auschwitz and when he gave his life for that man would you call that suicide would you call what what uh, what bishop Theodor Romja did suicide would you call Maximilian Kolbe suicide the difference is is that both of them in the case Theodor Romja would have said it is it is I love life life is beautiful it's a gift from God so if i don't get killed it's fine. It's for the glory of God. I'll continue ministering. If somebody, if you would ask Maximilian Colby, when he was going to the starvation chamber, like he took another man's place. They were going to send 10 people to the starvation chamber because somebody escaped Auschwitz and uh, they randomly picked 10 people. One of the men fell down on his knees and said, please have a family. Maximian Colby, a celibate priest, stood forward and said, let me take his place. Yeah. Some might call that suicide. He went to the starvation chamber. Now, if the allies had come in and rescued him before he starved to death would he have said that's a good thing he would have said yes of course it's 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 an ambivalence to death in a sense. If you, if you read St. Paul, when he's in prison, he has this ambivalence to death that is beautiful. He says, if I live, it's for the glory of God. If I die, it's for the glory of God. I think that's a true martyr. A true martyr is someone who says, I'm going to be a witness, martyrion. I'm going to be a witness to Christ, to what he did. If my, life, if my life gets taken from me, so be it. If God gives me the grace to remain alive, so be it. it it's, it's a beautiful thing. So that's what a true someone with a martyr's mindset is. It's not that they're seeking death; they're ambivalent, and they're certainly not afraid of death. They're fearless in the face of death because they understand that their life is a gift. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to give a, a a different reflection on that in a
1: moment. But I think I think the world would see it not just as suicide, but as foolishness. You know, like right. that that there's kind of a why are you doing this? Right. You know, like there is a natural self preservation right. to man, or even like. To the good that this person could accomplish by continuing to be present to his people in a remote way, without being in directly harm's way. But I mean, again, like the the cross is uh, foolishness to the Greeks and a scandal to the yeah. to the Jews, yeah. and that's what being a martyr is. It's it's co crucifixion with Christ. Yeah. Um, a, a co, uh, yeah, a co co redemptive suffering in him by one's own offering of one's own life. That's what another Christ would be, another Christian. It's it's true freedom. It's true freedom to say that the
0: that that all the options are all the options that are presented to me. I am open to receiving. If somebody says if we are if we are afraid of death, then. The, then we don't have a true freedom to surrender our life we don't have a true freedom to to surrender that that if someone you know if we're going to take a bullet for somebody if we're going to take a bullet for our child or for a friend uh, and we're so afraid of death that we can't do that then we're not truly free we're not truly free to give ourselves in that way mm. that's what um, someone who's living life of a martyr and this is the difference here so for the first 300 years of the church Christianity meant martyrdom it was it was in a sense black and white you right if you were a christian you were you were open to to sharing with, being a witness in a way that meant your life would be taken like Christ's was. Of course, as you mentioned earlier, Constantine comes along, emperor becomes emperor, is Christian— Legalizes Christianity, starts allowing even tax dollars to pay for for churches and theology and theologians, etc. And so all of a sudden, it becomes really easy to be Christian. It's actually popular to be Christian. Mm-hmm. And so, what do you do? The the whole definition there's an, a, a crisis of identity, an identity crisis among Christians. What does it mean to be Christians in a society that actually supports us? That made no sense to them because since the time of Christ, it was illegal. So, uh, what that was they they came up with the terms later on of course of a red martyrdom and a white martyrdom so a red martyrdom is a martyrdom of blood this is literally when your life is taken from you a, a white martyrdom there's also this concept of blue or green martyrdom but those are the definitions aren't, aren't as well defined in my researches white martyrdom is, is kind of a general term for when you live your life not attached to your life in other words when you live your life of, of a martyr as if my life could be taken any time or I can give up part of my life. So if I say a white martyrdom is generally lived out by the monastics, those who have... In in the early fourth century, they said this is ridiculous living in a society where our Christianity is supported. That's that, that makes no sense. So we were gonna leave society, leave the luxuries of this world, we're gonna go into the desert, look up Anthony, the desert, etc. That they went into the desert, they lived lives separating themselves from both luxury and the temptations of the world, and they went out and they, they lived their life of, of of a martyrdom while still alive. So they, they gave their life, they lived asceticism, prayer, fasting fasting, almsgiving. They lived out in the desert um, and allowed themselves to, in a sense, die to self without physically dying. Mm. So they died to self, all of their desires... Um, their their wishes were sacrificed. Christ sacrificed himself on the cross. They, they, they lived the life of participation in the cross of Christ in this world and were incredibly joyful for it. I mean, they, they, they received the benefits of true Christian joy, even though anybody who came from the city and looked at their life and said, oh, you know, how can you be happy living this way? You spend the entire day prayer praying fasting and and giving alms emptying yourself and yet you still have this joy that that that's a white martyrdom so the green or the blue martyrdom some would say is like kind of living in the world but still kind of living near the temptations, living with certain luxuries, but still, for the most part, sacrificing that. Um, there, there's been, again, tension with that over time, mm. but um, but th- there's generally those two martyrdoms. Red martyrdom is actually dying for your faith. White martyrdom is is remaining to be a, physically alive, but but living as if your life is a gift that you are constantly giving. You're constantly emptying yourself like Christ did while still remaining alive, and and your life is not being taken from you because there's no one to take it, and you're not going to kill yourself, obviously. So there's this there's this living martyrdom. That's the white martyrdom, um, and then the green martyrdom would be kind of with that without going into monasticism, kind of living a daily life. That's one definition. There's a couple of different definitions. I won't go into all of them now, but um, so th- th- those are the generally two ways of living martyrdom: dying like Christ or living like Christ. <laughs> living living like you you've surrendered your life, all mm-hmm. the luxuries et cetera that you have. Um, there's a great tradition in uh, Eastern Christian monasteries of, of when you become the highest level of monk or nun, you receive what's called the great schema. And it's this, it's this vestment that, that shows on it all the instruments of the passion. So the idea here is that if you've received the the level or the rank of great schema, your vestment changes and you wear it and it shows the cross, it shows, you know, the the rooster, the crowed, it shows the spear, it shows the sponge and has all these different symbols on it. And and some would say and in some versions of this vestment literally bind your arms because you're no longer the symbolism here's you're no longer living, laboring in this world. So you've lived the life Laloon you've you've lived the life of sacrifice and so also at this point is when you could become a hermit So you needed community. So you lived in the monastery. You had brothers and sisters in the monastery, brothers or sisters in the monastery. But then at some point, if you became so holy that your community was only Christ and you could live that way, which of course most 99% of people can't, but once they've lived the life of community, then they could go off and be a hermit, live alone, and then their community became Christ. And he was kind of the only one that was worthy of their community, but also the only one that could hold them in kind of the the usual what what community brings to a person they they were almost like living in heaven they were living the angelic life and so christ was their direct community and then they could go off and be hermits in in that case so they didn't need to labor anymore in this world it was a, gr- a great symbol with this, with this great schema okay okay <laughs> I'll just keep going then. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So, so, so martyrdom is. Most of us are not called, obviously, to be red martyrs. Yeah,
1: I, I don't know if I lo- the the blue green thing. I don't really like that. Just FYI, I what I don't like is like because you know I was talking to a friend of mine about this, and and he's like, I just don't allow eulogies in the in the space oh, in the space of funerals. Right, and his reasoning was. Um, I will not have, in the midst of the liturgy, in the midst of the Christian community, a false presentation of what it means to be a Christian who has died in perfect communion with Christ and neighbor to be, you know, he loved the Broncos. Right. Loved the Broncos, and uh, we went fishing together, and uh, what a great guy, and uh, always smiling and uh, he, uh, yeah, he would borrow his tools to anybody. Yeah, didn't go to mass. Never tithed. You know, <laughs> right. never fasted. Never right. kept any day, holy days of obligation. Right. Never really cared about anyone other than his blood relatives and friends. Right. Um. That's not. That's not a martyr. Yeah. You know, and that's where I'm kind of like, are we just gonna get into like. I live a pretty mauve martyrdom, you know right i I try to give something up for Lent and then fail, and I kind of am living in my vocation, but not really i I have a pretty comfortable life. yeah you know it's like either martyrdom is a real part of what it means to be a Christian, namely giving testimony, like whether in words or in deeds of your faith, yeah, or it you're actually a you're actually part of the world, yeah. And you're not a Christian, you know.
0: One of the things called green, and I, I from what I read, blue martyrdom is kind of the general term. Green martyrdom was adopted by the Celts, so like those in Ireland and <laughs> England. So, um, but somebody claimed um, that. It's sinisictism was kind of the way of living that was identified as green martyrdom. And these were literally monasteries where monks and nuns would live together in community without Mm -hmm. distinguishing male from female. And I think they tried for a while to kind of see themselves as Mm -hmm. separate from any sort of sexual tension or anything like this. And it obviously did not work. It didn't work. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) That failed after a while. Surprise, surprise, (laughs) puppy
1: surprise. How many puppies are there inside? And and supposedly Truer that than I even, realized, yeah.
0: supposedly what happened at that time is even even earlier than that, St. Patrick condemned that idea. So, I mean, it was one of those things that were even tried out as early as St. Patrick was unless um, he lived. But he he can sometimes. So I think there's still a little bit of tension there. I think there are people, though, that like, you know, mothers, fathers, people that live in the world that that. Obviously, if we define Christianity as being a witness, which I think is true, and that's good, mm-hmm. then you, you can live in any vocation, any life yes. situation, and truly the, live the life of martyrdom, uh, yeah. of, of separation, of sacrifice, of self-gift for your spouse, for your children, for your parish, for your bishop, whatever it might be, but then also say, this is, this is the martyrdom Christ has called me to, to sacrifice self for... Those whom I am leading and also for my own salvation.
1: Yeah, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who yeah. lives in me. Yeah. That, like, I lay my life down freely. No one takes it from me. Right. I give it up and I'm going to do it in this form. Yeah, that's fine. There yeah. are many, there are many shoots that, you know, funnels, whatever, that we can, you know, kind of find ourselves, whatever track we find ourselves on to heaven. But there has to be an ultimate form which is Christ's right. own life and that's the life that you know that we want to live no greater love has man than this than to lay down his life for his friends yeah. and so you are my friends yeah and you should so also so you also should do yeah that's
0: it and i i think it's we we can call that a martyrdom. I mean, if we're, if we're going back to witness, the, the, the whole point of the Christian life is in one sense to be the body of Christ, to participate in it by being a witness. I mean, that's what people say. You know, if, how do we prove that Jesus Christ, the man rose from the dead? Like, how do we prove it? We have the Bible that most people can just blow off and say, well, that, that was just written by men, right? You know, how do we prove that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? The best way to show that that was the case and so the Christianity is legit and Christianity is true is by saying, look how many witnesses there are. Oh, yeah. Look how many people there are that are willing to sacrifice themselves, to love truly, to put themselves second or third or fourth or fifth for the sake of what they believe. It is because Jesus rose from the dead that I feel called to celibacy and that I don't have a wife and kids. The, the the most amazingly beautiful things that any person could ever have at, at the very core of our being— is that. And so like everybody's called to sacrifice certain things to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. We all have different things that we've sacrificed, but that is that that sacrifice and that people are willing to undergo that and the fact that they're joyful in it is one of the greatest witnesses to the fact that Jesus Christ did die, rise, and, and remains with us in the church through the power of the Holy Spirit and allows us in the church to find true happiness, joy, and peace in a life of sacrifice. Someone who's only obsessed with the five senses and says that the, everything that exists is perceivable by our five senses, you know, secular, humanists, etc.—they they will not understand why Christians can be happy and joyful when they're living lives of sacrifice and living lives of martyrdom.
1: Yeah, I mean, Balthazar says that uh, the greatest testimony for the the proof for the Christian life is the saints. Yeah. You know, like, we can point at the Eucharist all we want and just say, no, this is what it is, and it's like, but what what does it do? Right. You know? Like, but it's really, really Christ. Now, there are Eucharistic miracles, whatever else, mm-hmm. but as he's saying, like, it's really helpful when you have an incarnation, a, a reincarnation, if you will, of Christ, Yeah. but in these different forms, men, women, old, young, married, single, consecrated nuns, different ages, different times, different situations, yep. and you say, you know what, like, they're still doing it. Yeah. And personally, I don't see that from other religions. Right. There might be. There might be some very, like, incredibly holy and devout people, but we just do a better job of publicizing the ones that we have? I don't think so. I think the world looks, and who are the great kind of uh, sentinels of the last, you know, century? Mother Teresa and John Paul II. Yeah. Probably the most photographed figures Mm -hmm. in the history of, well, John Paul II is, but maybe, you know, second would be, you know, Mother Teresa. Yeah, John F. Kennedy's, you know, a good guy, died a, a amazing death. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, kind of, like, you know, haunting, horrible, whatever. Right. Like, people were astonished by it. But the fruit of his life, what is there? Yeah. Speculation? I don't know. I mean, the the things that he put into effect, okay, you know, Martin Luther King, LBJ, all these people. Like, even as somebody as great as Martin Luther King, but the sanctity of life that that the holiness of life. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. Michael Jordan, total philanderer, you know, just yeah. like he's on I don't know what number wife, you know. Mm-hmm. Amazing basketball player, amazing, you know, on in in many many ways, but uh are they going to be invoking him in kind of the 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 halls of, you know, yeah,
0: I, I I do think too that you we talk about how many people the man Jesus Christ influenced, and that's an evidence of his holiness and evidence of his resurrection. And you know, I honestly someone like M.L.K. though, I think you could say has through the power of Christ influenced many many people. Yes, after him. So I mean, in in a sense, you know that I think you can see Christ working in him and in others too. I mean, obviously Mother Teresa, uh, and people like that that whether they're acknowledged saints by the Church or whether they're not, there there's to be Christ-like, to participate in Him is to is to have, in a sense, that that lasting effect. Not not in any human way. Again, I, I gotta be really careful with this because you know you got music artists that are horrible people that influence people after them. But but that that yeah. if you, if you're bringing people closer to the truth, to goodness, to holiness, etc., then that's that's a sign that you are a true witness, a martyr martyr to. Christ, you're you're pointing people, directing them to the 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 God who created, you know, the creator and the one, the savior, yeah. et cetera.
1: Well, I would say, I mean, Martin Luther King, in terms of the secular or kind of the the Christian world that is not Catholic, yeah. would be one of the highest kind of forms of giving witness. Yeah, but it's not just a one shot deal where it's like. Man, you got it right on right. that day. Right. Like, he he got it right for, a, a, like, he was getting very high marks. Right. But to be a martyr in the truest sense is to be a fully initiated uh, Christian into the life of Christ. Right. And that martyr's death is a way in which, like, yeah, he never received confirmation, but... Uh, in some ways, he got everything through that, yeah. you know, and the effect of his life was, you know. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. Martin Luther King, I, I personally <laughs> wouldn't put him in the, you know, like, you know, if you're gonna invoke all the saints, whatever. Holy ones, right. y- yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, th- that's a good point. I mean, th- that's why the Church canonizes saints, so that we right. can be sure that, that they are... Yes. with Christ in heaven united with him yes and then we can we and can, that
1: their life is worthy of yeah. emulation right because there are a lot of people that have you know have died you know I think Tertullian actually died a martyr's death didn't he uh, that's a good question but no. he wasn't a he separated himself from the church. Yeah. He was uh, part of some heresy. Yeah, and and there were many of those. Same thing with Origin, of course,
0: who died, who was condemned over and over again by the church. Yeah, but you read his life, you're like, he was a good guy."
1: a <laughs> yeah, great guy. Yeah, uh, probably a lot holier than I am, but again we've talked about this on the podcast before look at we've talked about canonization yeah you know you can look up that one so yes.
0: anyways and, and I, I think that's a good transition to my into my very last point um, we in the Byzantine Catholic church the Sunday after Pentecost is is all Saints for you guys it's Holy Trinity Trinity Sunday so for us it's all Saints and so the the the, the reason here is kind of Pentecost exactly what you said uh, Christ Christ is Allows his body to remain on the earth through through the actions of Pentecost, the sent of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit unifies and affects the body of Christ, and then the next Sunday we are reflecting upon how that has happened. So we're reflecting upon All Saints. Um, the readings that we hear in the Byzantine churches: Hebrews twelve and Matthew ten. And so as I as I was preaching this past Sunday, it became very evident that that in in my research and my prayer, like it as the most beautiful things within Christianity are always paradoxes. They, they, they don't two things that don't seem to work together somehow do the mystery of it. So the fact that Jesus Christ is God and man, the fact that Mary was, was virgin and mother, these things don't work in the world. You can't be both God and man. You can't be both virgin and mother, but these paradoxes exist within Christianity showing that it's a mystery. So I I found a paradox in, in the readings and I I think it works well with, with a a life of sacrifice and martyrdom because in prayer, um, you mentioned moms in in the in the last podcast. Obviously, John and Mike in Rome mentioned moms. And they did the mm-hmm. uh, they did the stay at home moms podcast. Um, so there's there's a the reality in in Hebrews twelve. Um, Saint Paul talks about running the race, and so you know, strip off the encumbrances of sin, strip off the sin that clings to you when you're when you're running the race, and see Christ. The RSV translation I love is pioneer. Christ is a pioneer for the yeah. race. He ran the race already and he can be a directed guide. And so there's this there's this race. The Christian life is a race. But also in the in Matthew ten, the other side of that paradox is that um Jesus says if you save your life you will lose it. If you lose your life for life for my sake and for the gospel's you will save it. So there's this this saving life and losing it. If you try to if you try to hoard it, if you try to save it, you will lose it. But if you tr- if you lose it for my sake and for the gospel's you will save it. This word lose one of the ways of translating that Greek word lose and the Greek word is apolamai. Like one of the ways of translating that word is is like misplacing. Like, I misplace my keys. So there's one sense yeah. where Christ is saying, if you misplace your life, like almost absentmindedly, if you misplace your life, you will find it. If you hoard it and keep it close, you will misplace it. You will lose it. So, But when you're thinking of this as the virtue, what is the good way of, of misplacing your life? That's where the paradox is. In one context, the Christian life is this race. Is it exhausting? We have to be zealous. We have to have the one goal in mind, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one goal, and we're going to exhaust ourselves in the race of the Christian life in order to get to that one goal. And yet, at the same time, carrying our cross, which is also in, in, in this passage from Matthew Matthew 10, um, carrying our cross is almost like a misplacing our life. We we we've set it aside. It's not a concern. It's not something constantly on my mind. So when I was writing to my homily, and preparing, I thought, you know, what is the greatest example of this paradox of running the race and yet and kind of almost absentmindedly losing our life, setting it aside, misplacing our life? The greatest example to me that I witness in in my own family, in my own parish, is moms. Right, Because you can imagine a mom, you know, they're, they're, they're in a sense running a family. And so the, they, they have obviously certain plans for the day. And yet I know many moms who say at the end of the day, they exhaust themselves for their, for their family, exhaust themselves for their family, especially stay-at-home moms. And they exhaust themselves. And then at the end of the day, they might look at their to-do list, got nothing on that mm-hmm. to-do list yeah. done. And yet they, they, they kind of shrug and say, you know what? That was a good day. That was a good day. Nothing got done. I exhausted myself for my family, for my own, my myself, my own salvation, for my family, for my friends, for greater society. I exhausted myself, but in the in the meantime, I kind of misplaced my life. I I just, it wasn't, I wasn't able to organize it enough. I wasn't able to plan far enough ahead. Yeah. It just kind of fell by the wayside as I was exhausting myself. As I was running the race of Christian life, I misplaced my life. And, and I hope, I hope that those moms at the end of the day and anybody else who does that can say that was a good day. That was a Christian day running the race and in the midst of the race, misplacing almost just absentmindedly my life. It's a beautiful thing that those moms and anybody else who, who is able to do that, they become martyrs. They become witnesses to the Christian message, the Christian message of running the race. And at the same time that they're running the race, they are also almost absentmindedly misplacing the life. And what Jesus says is, if you misplace your life, if you lose your life, You will find it. In other words, you you will find life in the running the race, even though it might not be what you planned, Mm -hmm. but you're still going to receive it. The life that he gives, of course, which is ultimately uh, eternal life.
1: Yeah. There you go. Month of May. A lot of mothers. Yeah. A lot of mom stuff. Good call. All right. I'm done. Shoutouts. We're doing four. Total. I vote six. We're doing four. Total. I vote 10. Let's meet in the middle and do six. Catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. I have run the race. I have been doing freaking podcast stuff since 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's 7.15. I'm freaking done. Oh,
0: did you do a five-and-a-half-hour work day? That's horrible, Father Nathan.
1: It's my day off. Father Matt Book said, he said to me, he goes, what are you doing tomorrow? I was like, I'm podcasting. He goes, that sounds horrible. I'm like, Exactly. I always choose to do podcasting not on my day off yeah. so that I can get out of work. Right? See how much we love the listeners oh. is that we spent literally more than half of our day off podcasting because
0: we didn't get one in last week and because you we were before. working so hard while well, you were retreating. But <laughs> I, was, I was working so hard. I was working
1: so hard on that bag of peanut butter m <laughs> All right, six. Here we go. Shout. Okay. A shout-out to my soon-to-be-husband. <laughs> Why do I always get these? Soon-to-be-husband, Micah Dornbos. Uh, please pray for us as we enter into the sacrament of marriage on May 14th. Oh, snap. from What? From it's past that. From Oh, congratulations. Well, congratulations. Oh, crazy. Blaha's calling. Uh, from Ann Schnitzenbauen. That's what her name Close. is. Well, I can't see it, like, because Blah I was calling it. <laughs> Schnitzenbaumer. I wonder if Micah Dornbos is related to Katie Dornbos. She was in focus. I have no idea. Go so ahead. Dornbos. Okay. A toast to
0: Evan Glazinski, officially now a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Atlanta from his friend Stephen Hill. Congratulations. Persevere. Be holy. Serve well.
1: To my friend Sam Ford, hashtag shout out. Who introduced me to your podcast last month From Allison Barrick, Houston, Texas To my buddy
0: Hunter, the site supervisor at my parish saint Cateri Kateri-Takawitha in Santa Clarita, California From John Kennedy
1: What? I got from, that right. That's right, yeah From Matt Kyle yeah. to my wonderful and amazing kids Ellie and Henry from Naomi Vrazo,
0: Vrazo to my friend Christine in Syracuse, New York. She just started listening and was initially thrown off by the video game banter. <laughs> Excuse
1: me. But said that by the end of the podcast, it rocked her world. Thanks. Can All right. And the last the one, the last one who actually yeah. called in the middle of the podcast. So um, this person perhaps doesn't know that he's already a celebrity, but he can get another one. Uh, to Father Nick. Nicholas P. Blaha, an amazing priest who introduced me and eight other college students. It should actually read, indoctrinated me (laughs) and eight other college students to your podcast on a 16 hour car ride as we were heading to a backpacking trip from Big Bend through Big Bend National Park from Madison. Madison, Father Nick Blaha just left me a voicemail, so I'm going to try and call him back. All right. Well done. Thanks for listening. Dude. Kudos to Father Michael. He spent the better part of seven hours, folks—seven hours of his day off—doing podcast stuff. Well done. Thank you. I, I watched Harry Potter, <laughs> um, and uh, you also drove to my rectory to do this, though. It's true, but I get to sit at home. Yeah, but seven hours. Good night. You're such. A when good was the last time you put in seven hours, Father John, Father Mike? Huh? <laughs> On something other than like your immense studies that you labor at for hours on end. Okay, guys, I love you. Uh, Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. All right.
0: Bye. Love you. Bye. See you later.
1: Yeah.